Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's the most wonderful. No, it's not. But it's pretty damn fun anyway. Industry Pro Mock Time. Industry Pro Mock Time. It is in full effect. Many of you know, because I've been doing this now for... Four years? Question mark? I'm Ron Burgundy. I don't remember exactly when we started this thing, but it's at least a few years old now, and it is rolling to the uninitiated, the newer listeners. By the way, love you guys, new listeners. You guys make it all tick around here. You guys make it tick. That's why we keep fighting. Try to grow this podcast from the ground all the way up to wherever the hell we are now. Around this time of year, every season, I invite 11, sometimes 12, sometimes I sit the thing out myself, of the rest of uh, stellar industry minds, so fantasy NBA analysts, to do a nine-cap roto slow mock. And then, and this is the most fun part, but we're not quite at that yet, I get to invite each of those guests on or almost all of them, time constraints depending, onto the pod to talk about the results. And you guys get to enjoy at least 8, 9, 10, 11 different viewpoints on how the mock went, specific players that each of them might be targeting and why. So you're now you're digging up little sleeper type things from all the analysts across the space. And we have to try, I mean, there's a little bit of a balancing act there to try to keep it all level in our heads, but I think we can do it. We've done it many times before, we'll do it again. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Want to make a big deal about that at the front end of shows right now, because again, there are new listeners among you, and old listeners know I do way too much fantasy basketball stuff on social media i answer questions we do nightly recaps we do things we're watching for pickups drops buy lows sell highs all that stuff that you can't you can do it on a podcast but we we release this show once a day it's 30 some odd minutes in the off season it's 40 some odd minutes typically during the season but then stuff happens in between and for me at least and i would assume for most of you you want to be able to attack that stuff immediately don't wait all the way until the next pod so that's a combo effort. So please do follow me on social at Dan Bespris. Again, you can also just search Dan from Hoopball. It still comes up from the old site name. Uh, and I will see you slash talk to you over there. I have other things I want to tell you all about, but we'll, uh, we'll save some of that for the middle of the show. Two things to go over on today's podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the industry mock results so far. It started yesterday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Again, it's a slow mock. So we're actually just finishing up the fourth round, little under a day's worth. Actually, moving along okay, all things considered, when you talk about folks. We've got lots of different time zones covered on this thing. And, you know, if maybe we could do the first, maybe first and second round on today's show. I also want to talk a little bit about sophomores in the NBA, because many of you have asked that. I feel like every time I do a mailbag... There's a question of, hey, what rookie is going to take a big step forward in year two? And I keep saying, just wait, just wait. We're going to do this a little closer to the season. Well, I think we're going to do a little bit of that today as well. 
But I want to start with the mock results, uh, and we're not going to do a ton of breakdown on it on today's show. We'll leave that to when we're actually talking to the analysts that drafted them. And also, by the way, shout out to the analysts that I couldn't fit into this mock draft. There are far more great minds out there than I was able to fit into one mock. This is a cross-section from a bunch of different sites, trying to mix and match as best we can. But again, there are others, so don't let this be a slight on anyone that wasn't in this mock. Everybody, you guys are all great, but there was only so many spots. I'm doing, I wonder if next year maybe I go up to 14 teams and just shorten it to like a 10-round mock. I think this one's going 12. I didn't want it to go all that far. Three days of hard work, hard labor in the mock room is plenty. No surprise, and I'm not even going to list the team names here. Nikola Jokic went first. We'll dive right on in. Luka went second, but I want to, again, remind everybody, grain of salt on that one. The great Dr. A had second pick in this mock, and you know he's going Luka anytime he's available. He might have even gone Luka at one over Jokic, uh, but he's definitely going Luka over everybody else at two. Giannis went three. Not surprisingly, he does tend to go pretty early. Um, I get the feeling that there's, because he's so good at so many things, and people are willing to overlook the fact that he's so bad at one. Even in Roto, if you perfectly pull off the one-category punt, you can do it. I'm not big into Giannis this early in Roto because of that one massive hole in his game. You just It's so hard to take a one point in a Roto league and still win it. It's doable. It's not impossible. I've certainly done it with point, uh, punt points teams before. But it's hard when you sort of jam yourself into that spot early. And then for whatever reason, Giannis also gets this a reputation of having played in every game all season long. He's pretty much sitting on 68 games a year lately, missing about a dozen, give or take. Give or take. I know that's not, that's 14, but you know what I mean. Kevin Durant went fourth. I'm all about that one. Tyrese Halliburton went fifth in this mock draft, and Twitter was in an uproar over that one. Uh, that was... Well, again, I'm not going to list the team names here, but I am very excited to talk to the uh, the team that picked him, whether it's on the pod or even on Twitter or off to the side, and get an explanation. You know, we love Halliburton. Talked about that before in the show. He was one of the biggest sports ethos guys this last season when he was just an unreal value. This year, it's tough because he's going in the second round. There are analysts that have him mid-first, as you can see right here. But the question is, when do you make that plunge? He has a very Roto-friendly game. He's like a Chris Paul light from that point in his career. High assists, high steals, great percentages in both. We just need him to take more shots. Would love the Pacers to clear out Heald and or Miles Turner. That would certainly help the cause. Steph Curry went sixth. Joel Embiid fell all the way to seventh. I can tell you who picked him there. That was me. Because, you know... I don't have to talk to anybody else to get you an explanation on that one. Damian Lillard went 8 pretty early for Dame. Jason Tatum fell to 9. LaMelo Ball at 10. James Harden at 11. And Trey Young fell all the way to 12. Which isn't all that surprising, given, again, Yahoo's internal engine has Trey at 20. His pre-rank is in, obviously, the early first round. There's That hasn't shifted all that much. He's still number 4 by pre-rank. But you can see there's a slippage there with Trey by... By ADP, he's down at 6.2. He's a tenth of a point 
away from falling behind Steph, which would put him in the seventh overall pick slot. And so despite the fact that his pre-rank is four, he's trending the wrong way. Kind of an interesting, weird little player going against the Yahoo X-rank board. Which is fine by me, because even with some erosion on Trey, you'll still see him probably mid-second round per game, and dude just doesn't miss ball games. So getting him on the turn here, I think, is a still a really good value. Remember by totals last year, he was up around number four. Like 9, 10, 11 range per game, but then more durable than most of the guys in the first round. I don't like taking a mid-first round anymore. I think there's just too much of a gap there between where you draft and where the per-game output typically ends up with someone who brings in that, that sort of extra high-usage dude next to him. Cat went 13 this is a hell of a pair to get at 12 and 13. Trey Young and Carl Anthony Towns, you've shored up pretty much every category on your board at that point. Maybe could use a little more help in blocks. Whatever. Hell of a start, though. Devin Booker went 14th a little earlier than he's typically going, but again, there is this sort of, you know, if you don't take Booker there, you're choosing between probably four guys where you're guessing, do they play anywhere from 55 to 71 games it almost definitely doesn't go higher than that and those names are Kyrie Irving Anthony Davis Freddie Van Vliet went uh way earlier than he's been going in other drafts and LeBron James oh and Kawhi Leonard sorry call it five players meanwhile Kyrie is up back on his soapbox again doing weird stuff it's uh fluctuates between upsetting and odd depending on what day you're talking about he becomes harder and harder to draft every time he says something crazy or lightly crazy, or completely bat bleep insane. There's just there's a sliding scale with Kyrie, where if it's only lightly crazy, you're like, all right, that's not going to impact ADP, but then he's going to like elevate a conspiracy theorist, and people are probably going to actually sour on him a little bit, because they're like, look, if that's what this dude is doing, look, here's what I'm saying on this pod. I know someone out there is just like, ah, rah, 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 rabble, rabble. What I'm saying is, if this dude is still completely unfocused on basketball, and you might be staring down the barrel of another very odd season. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. You know where I stand on a lot of these issues. I'm not going to go and start preaching on the show. I don't care where you stand. I hope you don't really care where I stand right now. I don't have time for that nonsense. This is a fantasy basketball pod. But his stuff, whatever you want to call it with Kyrie, does impact his ability to play basketball games. That's just a fact. Dude played in less than 30 games last year because of his stuff. 
He missed like 20-something games the year before because of stuff. Disappeared for weeks. Was seen attending his sister's birthday party or something. And there was a long stretch in there where we collectively, the media, me, you, all of us, we generally were kind of defending it. Like, oh, well, you know, he's just like, he's working on priorities. And then it just kept going. And it almost feels sometimes like he's just trying to see how far he can push it while still bouncing back. That's a dangerous guy to have on a fantasy team. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said I'm all about it. Now I'm a little bit worried. It just seems like he's slipping back to the same old crap now that all this, like the net stuff was good vibes there for about a week before Kyrie was like, nah, stomp on that. Anyway, he went next, for whatever that's worth. Massive per-game upside play. But man, the Tweety Birds are flying around. Anthony Davis went after that. Uh, Freddie Van Fleet. This is earlier than you have to go, Freddie. And there are plenty of other names on the board here that you could go. You guys know I like Freddie Van Fleet, too. I just, you know, ADP is in the 30s for him or hovering around 30. There was a chance he might have made it back in the next round. I got LeBron middle of the second round. I'm perfectly happy with that. I think, you know, Lakers, he knows that. His career is, he's still unbelievable, but it is starting to very slowly trend in the wrong direction. He's starting to get a little older. Is there game erosion? I don't know. We haven't really seen much of it yet. Defensively, there has been. But for the Lakers right now, at least, they still need him to do a lot of the stuff on offense. A lot of the guys the Lakers brought in were more about defending, because that was such a huge issue last year. Defense and three-point shooting, they did at least try to address one of those things. Figure now maybe they can kind of grind it out. Lakers do have some guys that can go get a bucket in a tight ball game. They just don't want it to get to be crazy. Can't fall behind by 22 every ball game by just not defending anyone. It was a free pass to the rim, and when AD was out, then there was really no protection back there. I do think that a lot of what happens with the Lakers this year is going to come down to the general feel around the team. They get off to an okay start. LeBron and AD are generally healthy at the beginning of the year. That augurs better for both of them the rest of the way. The beginning matters. I think I would even consider LeBron as, as early as around the turn based on what he can do on a per-game basis these days. So pretty happy to get him here mid-second round. Kawhi Leonard went right after LeBron. Uh, he's going to go earlier in Roto Leagues than he is in head-to-head. Something to keep in mind. Anthony Edwards, middle of the second round. He's a guy that's been very steadily on the rise in every format, so keep an eye on that. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, middle, uh, middle late second round at this point, punting again, or not punting, excuse me, shutdown stuff a little bit less of a factor in Roto with the games cap. DeJounte Murray, late second round, that's probably where he belongs. John Morant, late second round. Uh, Dr. A going team fun once again, probably a little early for me. You guys knew that was the other name I had mentioned because of Luca, so I figured I didn't need to hide it on the way back either. And then Paul George finishing up the second round, not a massive surprise there. We'll go into some of the other picks as we kind of weave our way through the week. We'll also start to talk to some of these uh, amazing analysts. Most likely, I mean, what the hell is today? Tuesday? Maybe we can get that going towards the end of this week. Friday, we'll also do another mock and kind of speed demon our way through it. Anyway, we have a couple. Uh, but for right now, I do want to pivot over and start to talk a little bit about second-year players. So many questions have come in about second-year players. Oh, and by the way, speaking of players, 
Ethos Listener Leagues remain open. Bug me on Twitter at Dan Bespers or email roster at sportsethos.com if you want to play in one of our ultra-fun leagues among, frankly, some of the most competitive fantasy basketballers you will come across. These are very real leagues. If you want to kind of ramp up, we got some free ones as well. All of that can be yours if the price is right, if you reach out on Twitter or by email. All right, so... There were a lot of really good rookies last year. It was uh, special from a fantasy standpoint because not all of them were complete disasters. Scotty Barnes was a fantasy win. Cade Cunningham was kind of a fantasy break-even. He missed some games early. He was like around 90 on a per-game basis. I was honestly surprised he wasn't getting drafted earlier, and it's because he was dinged up to start the year. There were stretches where Chris Duarte was useful, there were brief stretches where Josh Giddy was useful. Jalen Green was pretty good at the end of the year. We saw Bones Highland pretty good for about two weeks towards the end of the season. Herb Jones was great defensively out in New Orleans. Davion Mitchell finished the year strong. Evan Mobley was awesome. Alperen Shengun was the guy we were wanting to bust out all season long. Although, remember, I did tell you guys, don't stash someone the whole year. And Franz Wagner... I want to leave out Wagner. He also had a really nice season, and then he's looked even better in the offseason. So quickly, in something of a lightning round effort, we'll spend about 90 seconds on each of those names I just mentioned and what we can expect from them going forward. I did not organize them in any particular order. I think alphabetically was the way I ended up sorting it, just because these are not in order of ranking. So, you know, don't make it, don't feel like I'm doing one guy over another. Scotty Barnes last year finished at number 66 on a per-game basis, played in 74 out of 82 ball games, so very good. That's a, a check plus in the durability column. Average 15 points, 7.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, a little over a steal, 0.7 blocks. Good field goal percent, not great free throw, and did not shoot the three ball almost at all, just 0.8 of those per ball game. He is going pretty early in drafts this year with an ADP of 48 actually grades out to, I think, the 47th player. You just listed it numerically, but, you know, ADP and actual slot don't always match up. And in my estimation, that's a pretty damn fair spot to take a look at Scotty Barnes. He likely does take a small step forward in whatever capacity that might be. My hope, the easiest thing for him, would be to fix the free throws. If you're taking three a game at 73.5%, raise that up near league average, close to it, get it to 77, 78 that's an easy way to move up around a round and a half, and that puts him basically at his ADP. Any additional growth, if there is any, would push him just beyond that. Question, of course, in Toronto is, where does anything else come from? Is he someone that can push Siakam, Van Vliet, Gary Trent, OG Ananobi? Can he push them out of the way to get additional shots? And I think the answer is meh on that one. They're just a lot of mouths to feed, and the, the Raptors do a pretty good job of sharing things, where Siakam was typically the guy that got a few extra shots. He was up around 17 and a half, 18 shots per ballgame. If that comes down at all, then maybe you see Barnes collect a little bit. But a small step forward in most things for him, not minutes, that was about as high as they get anyway, and free throw percent gives him an opportunity to grow by a couple of rounds, and that's about where he's getting drafted. 
if he's durable beyond that mark, meaning plays basically in 74 games again or above, he beats it because by totals last year, Barnes was number 45. So put him around 50 per game, give him durability. You're talking about a guy who ends up in the 30s. I don't mind where he's getting drafted. I would consider him there. He's not my favorite pick at that spot, but that's also kind of a weird area of the draft. Late fourth, early fifth, not my favorite. Go ahead. Cade Cunningham is getting drafted way early right now. He has a terrific fantasy profile. He's not your typical shooting guard because he gets more assists and steals and blocks than your average what you'd call the traditional or standardized shooting guard stat set, which is more points and threes and free throw percent. And he does okay in those things. Free throw was good last year. Turnovers were way high. But Detroit also did add additional ball handlers. So it's not like it's just going to be the Cade Cunningham show. And even if there is a bump up in usage, it can't be that much to cover up some of the things that didn't go great in his rookie year. Will he get better? Almost definitely. Will he go from number 90 to number basically 30? His ADP is 35, but his pre-rank is earlier than that right now. Pre-rank is 32, putting him towards the end of the third round. That's a big jump. That's a huge jump on a team that, frankly, probably ends up tanking a little bit again. They tanked last year, and they didn't get the super high pick. They got some really nice young players out of the ordeal, but there's an opportunity here for a franchise-altering player coming up in this draft. I've got to think Detroit has one more year of kind of laying an egg before they try to put it together, and that could cost Cade a handful of games. So last year only played in 64, meaning that by totals he was actually worse than number 90. Points likely goes up. Rebounds probably stay steady. Assists probably stay about steady. Maybe go up a tiniest bit. Threes should go up a tiniest bit. Field goal percent is one that we'll keep an eye on. Turnovers are going to stay relatively high. I could see a two- or three-round jump for Cade pretty easily, which puts him more in the 50-60 range. 40 if everything went great, but 30s is too early for me. Chris Duarte is an interesting one because he went into and out of having value for stretches last year, and oddly, he does have, even maybe more than Cade, more of that shooting guard build, where it was points, it was some threes, he did get a steal per game, so maybe a little bit better there. Free throw was fine. Field goal percent was meh. Turnovers weren't too high, but he didn't get many assists. He didn't do a whole lot of rebounding. His path to value comes if Indy clears the road. Right now, he's not a guy I'm drafting because he's buried behind Buddy Heald and other nonsense. He'll play because they like him, but there's just still guys that are in front of him in the pecking order. Duarte needs a big usage leap to get to that next rung. It is possible. A trade could clear it out. That would be a really big deal for him. And maybe that's a reason if you're drafting now, you do take him in the last round and say, all right, well, I'll just squat on this guy until the day before opening night. And if Indy still has someone blocking his path, fine, I move on. If I don't, well, he has an opportunity to jump up into that top 100 range. But ceiling's a little bit capped because, again, not a ton of defensive stats, not a ton of assists or rebounds. And so now you're looking at a guy whose only real advantages might be steals if they improve a little bit more. And scoring? 
If the usage takes a big leap forward, scoring would get it done. Threes a little bit. I just see better paths. But again, if the road clears out, now you're talking about something a little more interesting. Josh Giddy is the next name on the list. He was number 162 last year, got shut down for a team that's likely going to tank again. And Giddy, for whatever reason, came out real hot in fantasy drafts thanks to the Yahoo X rank board. His ADP is still 55. His pre rank is still 54. He has that fun fantasy stat set where he can score, he can pass, he can rebound, he can get some steals from the guard spot. Not overwhelming there, but I think that'll improve. But both percentages are bad. Turnovers are going to be high. You need a big jump forward for him. To go from 160 to 50? No way. I'll pass. Is there a point at which I would consider Josh Giddy? Yeah. Uh, like more like eighth round. Because now you're like, all right, well, I guess if things break right, this could work itself out. Because, yeah, I mean, he probably does get a little better and everything. And we saw some stretches, some flashes pre-shutdown where he started to look pretty good. But top 50 for an entire season, that, that's, a, that's a very different beast. And so likely he's not going to fall far enough for me to be taking a look at him. Jalen Green, as we move towards Houston, overall on the year, didn't have a fantastic season. Uh, he was number 195, but post-All-Star break, he was inside the top 90. He put up pretty big numbers, actually, over that stretch. 21.5 points, three threes a game. Actually shot the ball pretty well from the field. He was a 47 and change percent. But he is the... And we talked about some of these guys having kind of near shooting guard stat sets. Jalen Green has the shooting guard stat set. 21.5 points, three threes, but this was in 34 minutes a game over 28 ball games. Three and a half rebounds, three assists, 0.7 steals, yuck, 0.4 blocks. And his field or his free throw percent was weirdly low. Although I have to figure field goal probably comes down and free throw probably comes up, so call that a counterbalance. But very little in rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. So there is, a, there is a love for this dude that I sort of understand because he is going to score a bunch on a young Houston team that's going to be a little bit more fun this year. But even if he's putting up 21, 23 points per game, there is a lack in the other categories that really caps his overall value, ability to get there at least. Before we move on to the last few names on this second-year list, I want to remind you guys that the Brewski 150 can be yours eight days from now by getting an Ethos 360 subscription over at sportsethos.com. Check it out immediately. That's the way to get it before anybody else does. Ethos 360, that's the name of the subscription plan. It gets you the Brewski 150 access before anybody else on the planet also, access to our Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, and DFS Pass all rolled into one giant bundle. If you'd rather just get the full season fantasy stuff, the Fantasy Pass is probably your way to go. That's got the B-150 in it as well. Comes out 10 days later than it does in the Ethos 360. You also get all the draft guide stuff and then all of our in-season membership tools as well. You can, of course, if you'd like, just get a draft guide a la carte. That's available as well. All of this over at sportsethos.com. Please get something. Keep us afloat, people. And it's great information. You're going to love it. I promise. You will not be disappointed. 
Bones Highland is an interesting one. I talked about him on uh, on Josh Lloyd's pod about three weeks ago. He's very much a last-round flyer kind of dude. Last two months of the season, he played 21 minutes a game, averaged 12 points, three boards, four assists. He actually looked really damn good. That was top 140-level numbers for him. There's just so much standing in his way. The return of Jamal Murray, the return of Michael Porter Jr., still have Aaron Gordon on that team. They brought in Contavious Caldwell-Pope to sort of block any other potential path. So Bones is going to be the scorer off the bench, but he's not going to have really any kind of leash. That's a team that now is going to mean business this year. So he's going to have to be really on his game, no mistakes kind of basketball, and that's really tough for a young player. So yes, I do like Bones. I think if you're sitting at like pick 140, frankly, in most drafts by about pick 115, you're really into the dregs. You can take a shot on it, see what happens the first two or three games of the season. Maybe he plays his way into 23, 24, 25 minutes a night. If he does, there's a chance at top 100 value, which again, in a lot of formats, that's not so bad. Herb Jones. Uh, I like Herb, but he's going to have to do it again with just defense because there's just so much going on in New Orleans. There's so many guys in the way. Herb was number 76 overall, just 7.5 shots per ball game, but 2.5 combined defensive stats, good percentages, low turnovers. That's going to have to be the thing he tries to replicate. Get super durable, get D stats, get percentages, and you can sort of quiet your way to a top 85 top 90 kind of season and i'm fine with it it's a really boring fantasy pick i mean i don't know what else you can say about herb it's going to be a boring pick because zion coming back means whatever shots he might have grown into there are going to get swallowed up quickly but i mean if you're around pick 100 115 something like that and you want you need to shore up defensive stats and you don't want to hurt your percentages there's a guy that'll just sort of fill it in might even make sense in a head-to-head league if you are attacking those four categories, just reliably piling up defensive stats and helping percentages and not hurting you in turnovers. Everybody wants to punt turnovers in a head-to-head. There's a way to win without it. I mentioned Davion Mitchell. He's, there's just, yeah, it's crowded. It's real crowded there. They brought in more shooting guards, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, uh, Whatever you thought might have opened up when Tyrese Halliburton got traded and De'Aaron Fox got shut down, there's just, yeah, they're in enough. They're in enough touches to get it there. Three more names on the board. Uh, Evan Mobley, he is a very popular early draft pick this year, and for good reason. He's a damn good young basketball player. His ADP is 41. His pre-rank is relatively close to that. I think the number, what is he at, 46 And I don't see a ton of reasons why we shouldn't at least consider it. He had 15 points, 8 boards, 2.5 assists, 2.5 defensive stats as well. Uh, He's a free throw stroke away from jumping around and a half all with almost nothing else going on. And you figure there's going to be additional growth for him in Cleveland. They also moved Larry Markinen. Not that that was really impeding him in any way. Um, But... The Cavs also brought in Donovan Mitchell. So if you're thinking Evan Mobley can get a couple extra shots this season, I don't really know where they come from. That's a problem. 
we need a little bit more usage there if he's going to take a big jump forward. That's how guys take big jumps forward when they already are playing starters minutes. It has to do with the role they're holding on the team. And his role was already quite secure. So you're really just budgeting in for generalized growth. And so if you're looking at like trying to get to top 40 on the season, it's going to have to be Free throws need to go from being a negative to at least a neutral, and probably you need over two blocks per game because I don't know that the other stuff is really changing all that much. So I love Evan Mobley, but he's a little bit priced out for me this year if he's really going to go late third, early fourth. Alperin Shengun was someone who in the very first iteration of Yahoo's ranks was nowhere to be found. He is all the places to be found now. He's jumped... His ADP has jumped more than almost anybody else on the entire board. His pre-rank has jumped more than almost anyone else on the board. He's now going as early as the 60s in some spots. And you've kind of wiped out the fun. He has the ability to hit field goals, score, rebound, pass, steal, and block from the center position, which is very cool. That means that his ceiling is robust. But... But we have to remember part of what we're working with here is a young player looking to grow. And he was a guy that basically wasn't on the board until late in the season. And even then, there was this kind of... I mean, even over the final three months, he wasn't even inside the top 200. Over the final two months, final 25 games of the year, basically, he played 24 minutes and he was number 175. Field goal percent was low. Free throw percent was low. Turnovers are going to be kind of high for a center. He doesn't really step out and hit the three ball yet, although we could see that change. He is a guy where we can all see the markings of this colossal fantasy potential, but there are also things that are going to hold him back. And so when he gets drafted in the 60s like that, you're doing a lot of pricing out on a guy who in starters minutes last year was really more around 90 to 100 range. That's just the honest-to-goodness truth. So 60s, I think, is probably more of a target for Shengun this year. As he grows, he could be someone that slides into those early rounds. Do I worry maybe we're getting a little bit too early? Are we, like, one year ahead? I feel like we've watched this play out before, and about 75% of the time, he's a guy that gets drafted. The buzz just keeps going and going and going, and he gets drafted, like, end of the fifth round and then he disappoints by two or three rounds in what is actually otherwise a decent season. And then the following year, people are like, meh, I'll take him in the seventh or eighth, and that's when he completely blows up. So I feel like we might be one year too early on going overboard with Shengun, but he's going to have a good season. You can see the fantasy markings on him. He's going to be a, an absolute juggernaut at some point. And so maybe you take the shot this year that he figures it out partway through, Percentages improve as the season goes. Everything just kind of elevates at like every week, every month. He gets a little bit better. And so, uh, you know, a top 120 start grows into a top 50 kind of finish. And then for head to head, that makes a lot of sense for Roto. It probably balances out somewhere in the middle. So his ADP is actually kind of fine right now. He was a huge value before. Now he might be just barely priced out, especially with some of the other names on the board at that juncture. But if you, if you see any rebound back down the board with him, that's when you take a shot. And finally, the last name on our alphabetized board, Franz Wagner, who was very good last year, but was not yet 
a true stud. He sat right on the edge of the top 100. He was very durable, played in 79 of their Magic 82 ball games, even while they were tanking. So <laughs> you, your team is bad enough that you can play your good guy and still lose. That's tanking in a nutshell. And they ended up with Paolo Boncaro as a result of the successful tank. We talked about Franz on yesterday's mailbag episode, so I don't want to do a ton of repeating here. He's a guy where we really need him to take a usage step forward. And I'm a little bit bearish on how much of a usage step he gets. I think there will be some because he's just better than some of the other guys on the team. But you're also contending with a team that's now going to be working Markel Fultz back in. Jalen Suggs was actually the earlier draft pick last season, remember? So he's still floating around. Cole Anthony's still floating around. Paolo Boncaro, who we just mentioned a second ago, just drafted, is more than floating around. They're going to be trying to shoehorn him into pretty much everything they do. I don't know what's going on in the front court, but likely to be adding Jonathan Isaac back to whatever was going on there. I mean, I don't think that's going to make a big usage difference, but... You're trying to balance this on a young team that's growing, that's going to be trying to win some more ballgames this year. You're trying to balance who gets all of the shots. And what I don't know is if Wagner's going to step on that court and say, look, I'm the man. I need 16 shots a ballgame. If he does, then you're looking at a guy that could jump 30, 40 fantasy slots. But if you're talking about a guy who's like, look, I need a little bit more. Find a way to get me the ball a little bit more because I'm better offensively than these other dudes. And his 12.3 shots per game goes to 13.8 or something like that. And everything else generally stays about the same, just kind of slight upward trajectory. Okay, now you're talking two to three rounds of value. So again, slightly positive overall on Wagner, but he's coming off of this wild Eurobasket mega performance. And so the hype is getting crazy. His ADP is still 95, so there's still room if that's where he continues to go. But Yahoo X ranked him all the way up to 79, which is starting to wipe out some of the value. So for Wagner, would I take him in the 70s? The answer is probably not. Would I take him in the 90s? I definitely would. And you're like, Dan, that's really... You're splitting hairs a little bit at this point. Isn't that close enough where you could just make the call? Well... When you look at some of the other names going around Wagner in the 70s, you still have some things, you still have some names on the board where you're looking at like, look, I think this guy could go top 50, top 60. So you air that direction. Now, if he slips into the 80s and those guys that you were looking at where you're like, all right, this guy, you know, this dude here, I think could be top 60, top 50, top 65. If those guys start to evaporate in the mid-80s, your hyper-competitive league, okay, yeah, you know, you go do about a round reach if you have to. But there's a lot of names. If you're just looking at Yahoo's X-ranked board, there's a lot of names between 75 and 100 right now that have that 50-60 per game potential. Wagner's one of them, mind you. I just think probability-wise, you get a slightly better a little more of an inside track on it with some of those other names, like a Jamal Murray. Obviously, when he plays, he's better per game. Now, there's a durability thing there, so maybe you want the guy who's playing extra ball games. I get it. Okay, that's a reasonable argument. Is Marcus Smart going to be someone who goes 65 range? Probably not. 
Devin Vassell's floating around in there. Brandon Clark, Gary Trent Jr., Kyle Lowry. That's a tough one because he's not particularly exciting. Horford slipped into the 100s. So I get it. I get it. And I'm not going to really try to talk you out of it on him because there is a little bit of upside there. But we need to see that... And, and that aggression to go get the extra shots every game. And that's the kind of thing you can take a chance on in the eighth round that's really hard for me to tell you to take a chance on, like, late sixth. Because they're just guy- there's still guys out there in the sixth round that just have that job that we're hoping that Wagner moves into. Does that make sense? Those guys evaporate by the seventh and eighth rounds that are still there in the sixth almost every time. I know it was hard to kind of get lost in all of that. So very quickly here, all the names we mentioned. Scotty Barnes, pretty good ADP. Cade, going too early. Duarte, last round flyer in case of a trade. Josh Giddy going too early. Jalen Green, he's been going earlier and earlier the whole way through. I liked his, his like near 100 ADP, but I think it's sooner than that now. So probably going a little bit too early. Bones, end of draft flyer. Herb Jones, Accurate ADP. Evan Mobley, tiny bit too early for me. Shengun, also just a little bit too early, but not too far off. Uh, and Franz Wagner, I don't know. I kind of want to see where the hell he's actually going right now. I'm not sure I believe any of the numbers we're looking at. A little bit too early. Overall, probably more too earlys than too lates, but they are mixed in there, and there are a few guys that should take a nice step forward. There you go. Got your question answered. You asked it so many times, I had to do it eventually. Don't get excited. I'm not doing a damn rookie show. I won't do it. I might do it. But I probably won't. But I might. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. You know damn well. I will see you over there at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. For goodness sake, go get a draft guide or an ethos 360. And you can mug me about it. You got questions? Hit me up about that, too. All right. On to tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.